Uh, tonight we are going to start with our conversation and helping me with our conversation tonight is Joshua Gardner of the Rockhurst House Church. Joshua is um, a smart guy. He's in seminary right now at Dallas Theological Seminary. Uh, he is a, a big fan of the Old Testament prophets and we're talking about Amos and so it's great for him to be joining us today and to pitch into this conversation about Amos. So without further ado, we have a little treat to start off our conversation. It had been a mixed morning, but James Lewis was hoping to keep things moving in the right direction. I'm 22 years old, and I'm a tour guide here in the city of brotherly love. My favorite part about being a tour guide is interacting with the people. All right, let's go, folks. I was really encouraged to come down and audition by my co-workers, so it's thanks to them that I'm here. I think the judges will think that my voice is unique and that I bring something new and something different. Kind of sounds like uh, maybe Paul Robeson or maybe Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam. My specialty is anything that's low. Are you excited to be here? Yes, I am. How can I not be? And can you sing? Yes, I can. <laughs> and what are you going to sing today? I'm going to sing Go Down Moses. Wow. Oh, okay. Whenever you're ready. When Israel was in Egypt's land, let my people go. Oppressed so hard, they could not stand. Let my people go. Go down, Moses, down Egypt's land, and say, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. <laughs> I'm sorry, James. Would you like me to sing something else? No. Or? Ready? Um, James. Summer morning, when this life is over, I'll fly away. Okay. James, seriously? This is not your thing, dog. Singing, it's this is not your thing, man. Trust me, man. Trust me, man. We we wouldn't lead you down the wrong alley, man. It's idols doing your favor, dog. It's not and your. And forgive us for laughing. I... Yeah, please, please forgive us for that, man. Okay. Thanks for coming out, though, dog. Thanks for coming out. Take care of yourself, baby. As the judges compose themselves and James plans his next move. Now, I'm gonna come try it again next year. I'll have more contemporary songs. I won't do any like older Christian songs. We're gonna take another break. And we screech to a halt. Uh, why does this video get such a strong reaction out of us? I, I saw you. Some of you laughed. Uh, some of you more violently than others. And those of you who weren't laughing, I'm sure, wanted to laugh. Um, others of us, I could see it in your faces. You felt very uncomfortable. It was, it was um, awkward to watch. Um, uh, for that matter, why have hundreds of thousands of people logged into YouTube to watch James's audition? 
I think there are at least two reasons. The first is uh, the sense of surprise, right? We don't, we don't have any reason to believe that James won't, in fact, sound like Paul Roberson or Eddie Vedder, like he says that he would. Ryan Seacrest doesn't tell us that he's going to be good or bad one way or another. There's a sense of suspense. James could be the next American Idol, for all we know, right? It's only when he opens his mouth that we realize how truly awful a singer he is. It's a huge shock, and so we laugh or we gasp in disbelief. The second reason I think is more significant, and that is the fact that James appears to be completely unaware of the fact that he's a terrible singer. To the contrary, he thinks he sounds pretty awesome, like Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam. What a comparison. He's even so deluded that he tries to squeeze in another song in there for the judges just to show them that they might not have been listening the way that they should have been to his dazzling voice. This unfounded confidence follows to the very end of the sketch as you see him talking about how next year he's going to come back and put in some more contemporary songs because that will secure his spot as America's next American Idol. All this leads to our surprising thought for the day. James may not be the only one with that kind of problem. Uh, We're in the midst of a conversation on the book of Amos, uh, who is an Old Testament prophet uh, who preached to the ancient uh, country of Israel uh, about worshiping God and practicing justice. Um, So we're going to open up to uh, Amos chapter 5, which is on page 626. And we're going to read Amos 5, 18 through 24. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear. As though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light? Pitch dark without a ray of brightness. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring me choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. See, Israel was just like our American Idol singer, James. They thought they were good people, only to God, who in this case is the judge, they sounded awful. We can see this in two different ways. In the first section, it talks about the day of the Lord. And this is, uh, in this way, Israel is like James. Uh, to Amos, the day of the Lord was well known. But to us, it's kind of foreign. It doesn't really make sense to us. But it was really well known. In fact, it's the Israelites who actually brought it up. Uh, He says that they are longing for it. They've been waiting for it. They want it. The prophets talked a lot about the day of the Lord. And in fact, Obadiah, another prophet, um, um, preached to a country, Edom, a neighboring country. And he said in verse 15 of his book, For the day of the Lord is approaching for all the nations. Just as you have done, so it will be done to you. You will get exactly what your deeds deserve. 
The day of the Lord is a day of judgment. It's the day when pretty much God kicks everyone's butt for what they did wrong. And specifically in Israel's mind, it's the day when God kicks all the other people's butts and not theirs. It's the day that all the other nations around them get put in their place underneath Israel and Israel's elevated. But Amos says that they shouldn't be so confident. Amos uh, says that um, they are running from lions and the lions are the nations around them. They're running from the nations. They think they're running to God only to find out that God happens to be a bear that is just as capable of devouring them as the lions. He then uses another picture. He talks about uh, the man who comes to the safety of his house running from his enemies. He leans against the wall thinking that he's finally safe and he gets bit by a snake. Now, as I was looking and wasting time on the Internet this week, um, I came across a funny comparison when I was looking for lions and bears. Um, the Detroit Lions. Now, I should be afraid of like a def- you know a Detroit Lions football player. I'm a skinny guy. He could probably beat the crap out of me. So, eh, I'm probably pretty scared of them. But I really should be more afraid of a Chicago Bear. There. The next section talks about the second way, and that's uh, that the Israelites, they thought they were righteous by their worship practices. You see, they thought, we worship God. We worship the God who can and will set all things right. He's on our side. We're safe. But in the next section, God doesn't pull any punches. He starts with a list of verbs that are very clear and concise about what God thinks, and they only get more vivid as they come. The first two verbs, it says that God hates and despises their religious festivals. That's pretty strong language. And it really only gets stronger from there. The next thing, in in most English translations, it says, I can't stand your solemn assemblies. Um, But in the King James Version, it says, I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. And then there's a more modern version that says, I can't stand the stench of your solemn assemblies. You see, the sense of smell is a really powerful sense. Um, I want everybody to close their eyes right now. Um, you see that for the Israelites and in the ancient Near East, uh, the sacrifices that were part of their worship produced what is called a pleasing aroma to God. When Noah, after the flood, he, he offered up an animal sacrifice and it said that it was a pleasing aroma to God. So I want you to think of something that is pleasant to you. Think of a smell that you enjoy. Could be the smell of your husband or your wife or your boyfriend or girlfriend. Could be the smell of a flower or something in nature. It could be food that you come in the doorway of your house and somebody's cooking it for you. And I want you to think of how those smells make you feel. Make you feel at home, make you feel comfortable. Just somehow smells can just make us so happy. Now I want you to think of a little bit different smell. Maybe that's not so pleasant. I don't know about you, but one of the worst smells to me is a poopy diaper. I mean, there is just there are some smells that just make you want to throw up. 
just horrible, horrible stenches. And the funny thing about it is, is that those smells once were pleasant smells, right? The smell of good fruit or something, whatever. It, somehow it transforms into this horrid stench that just is just absolutely horrible. And, the, and another funny thing, the toddler doesn't even realize it. Baby or toddler running around with a poopy diaper just thinks the world is fine, they're happy as can be, and you just want to get out of the room. And it works the same way. Israel doesn't realize that these things that were pleasant to God, these sacrifices, have now become a stench that they make the God of heaven vomit. And he doesn't, he doesn't stop at smell. He continues with the barrage on the senses. He then says that I won't look at you. I won't even look at the sacrifices that you give to me. I will turn away and look away. And I won't even listen to your hymns. I won't even listen to these songs. I'll plug my ears up. Now wait a minute. Where did these things come from? Weren't these the sacrifices that God commanded the Israelites to offer to Him? Weren't these the songs that their greatest King David, a man who was called a man after God's own heart, he wrote these songs. Aren't these good things? Hasn't God been teaching Israel for 700 years, over 700 years, to practice these religious assemblies, these sacrifices, these songs? So what does God want if He doesn't want people to worship Him? What, God, what do you want from us? But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Amos 5.24 Now here is the answer to the question. God doesn't hate the religious practices themselves. God hates the Israelites blatantly disregarding justice and righteousness. He hates that they refuse to defend the poor and the oppressed. He hates that they think that worshiping God, that is offering sacrifices, and singing hymns will make Him happy. If you look back one page at the beginning of this chapter, Amos sings a funeral song for Israel before they're even dead that indicts them for their atrocities from verse 7 to 12. In verse 7, it says, They turn justice to bitterness and throw righteousness on the ground. Verse 10, They hate the just and detest the honest. Verse 11, They tax the poor. Verse 12, They oppress the innocent. They take bribes and deprive the poor of justice. Now, we'll always accidentally mess up, so we need our opportunities to repent and remember the cost of our sin and realize the holiness of our God, which is what these Israelite and now our Christian practices are all about. But these worship songs and these worship gatherings can become irritating and offensive to God when not accompanied by the practice, the worship practices of justice and righteousness. And not only occasionally helping someone out, it's a lifestyle. A river that never stops flowing. A waterfall that never ceases to pour over a cliff. We talk about justice a lot in the storyline community. And texts like Amos 5 are pretty foundational to, uh, to why justice and righteousness are so important to us. 
Amos 5 is why we encourage house churches in our community at least monthly to do something together that serves other people and that cares for people who are in poverty or who are oppressed or who are down and out. Uh, Amos 5 is why uh, we have friends in poverty and why within our community the affluent rub shoulders with those who are in poverty. It's because of Amos 5. That's why we do it. And yet for all this talk about justice... For, for all of the conversations that we've had about it over the past year, just to be honest with you, I've discovered about myself that while I'm very quick to talk about justice, I've actually been quite slow to actually work for justice. I have a lot going on, I tell myself. I have to pastor and lead a network of house churches. I, I have to hang out with disconnected people. I have to develop and coach leaders. I have to see that we're starting new house churches. I have to write conversation guides and help prepare lessons for our worship gatherings. I have to tend to the vision of our community and make sure that we're on track and we're going in the direction God wants us to go in. I have to pray. I have to reflect with others and discern how God is leading us forward. All of these are important. They're spiritual things for me to do. And I found myself thinking, you know, when all this other spiritual stuff has subsided, then I'll make time for justice. I'll make time for for serving the poor or for mentoring a kid. Amos 5, needless to say, has been a kick in the pants for me. Uh, I'm wrong. If I take Amos 5 seriously, justice is not something that I can put off. Or put at the bottom of my list. It's not something that I can wait until there's time in my schedule to do. And if I do wait, really I'm no different than Israel. I sound awful to God. I stink like a toddler with a dirty diaper. I am American Idol wannabe James Lewis all over again. And so I have to change. I can no longer be apathetic. I can no longer be indifferent about working for justice. And what's more, I can no longer, I'm no longer allowed because of this text to view justice and righteousness as just a little compartment in my life that I, that I put in once a month. I have to view justice, like Josh says, like Amos says, as a waterfall, as a lifestyle that flows through my life like a never-ending stream. I have to make justice and righteousness of utmost importance because God is just and righteous. And it doesn't matter how much other spiritual stuff I do, because if I'm not doing justice and righteousness, I'm not okay with God. I don't smell good. I don't sound good to God. Maybe you're feeling a little like me today. Maybe you're wondering, do my worship songs sound awful to God? Does, does our life as a community put a stench in God's nose? And to help us reflect on such questions, we have four stations out behind us. Uh, we have one station for, um, for journaling and for reflecting on um, a, uh, a statement of one of our church planner friends, and an opportunity to make a commitment to do something about justice and to, to make it a part of our life rhythm we have another station where we can listen to the song that's being played overhead and think that's an adaptation of Amos 5 and think about how God may, might be speaking to us through there. We have uh, a station for conversation where we can talk with others about what we're sensing and hearing. And we also have 
an opportunity to to pray the liturgy, to pray some prayers of confession that would help us turn to God in light of Amos 5. So I'd encourage you to uh, take some time with these stations. Maybe you want to do one of them. Maybe you want to do two or three or four. It's up to you. Whatever will be effective for you during this time. We're going to take about 20 minutes to do it. And uh, you've probably noticed that uh, the band is not set up today. There are no instruments today. Um, that our, in, our equipment didn't catch on fire. Uh, we didn't forget. You know, Ryan, Ryan doesn't forget. You know, if you know Ryan, he, he uh, was the first to bring it to our attention. You know, we don't have instruments today. Well, he knew a long time ago, but we, we, couldn't, get, we couldn't sneak it past Ryan. Uh, no, it's, it's on purpose because of this text, because we want to make sure that before we worship in song and with music, we make sure that we're worshiping with justice and righteousness. That's the language of this text. We want to make sure that, that we're, uh, we're worshiping in acts of justice and acts of righteousness in our lives. And that's why, as Micah mentioned, later on this month, in August 29th, we're going to cancel our, our house church gatherings that evening. And in the morning on the 29th, we're all going to serve together. And that's going to be our act of worship for that day. Because doing justice and doing righteousness is an act of worship for our community. So I hope all of you will join us for that. Let me say a brief prayer and I'll release you to spend some time just reflecting and talking about how this is hitting you today. God, we pray for your leading, for your, uh, for your wisdom, um, for your Holy Spirit to give us the discernment that we need to listen to Amos 5, um, to hear what you might be saying to us, what you might be saying to Storyline. And God, we pray that in some, in some way that the conversation that we have today Um, that what we hear today could result in action, that we could take the actions of justice and righteousness a little more seriously than we did before we came, and that we we could actually go out and and plan to make justice and and righteousness a part of the rhythm of our lives. Um, God, help me, help everybody else as we try to do something more than just talk about it. In Jesus' name, amen.